Balls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right. Welcome to Chief Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I am Todd Hagopian, and we have with us a very special guest. You might know her as the chess chick on Twitter. It is Natalie. Natalie, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Natalie Danilishan. Nice to see you guys tonight. Thank you for coming on. We are doing a Ladies of Liberty episode. Uh, so for those of you who are not familiar, we're bringing on ladies who are big in the liberty movement to talk about their experience and um, how it is to be a woman in the movement and what we can do a little better to make the movement more inviting. But first, how about Natalie, why don't you start us off with what brought you into the liberty movement to begin with? What does that path look like for you? Oh, well, it was like back in 2005. And um, I, I found Ron Paul. And I think a lot of people my age, it really starts with Ron Paul. He's really the person that kind of lighted the way for a lot of us. And uh, after Ron Paul, after I, I got to reading some of his books, and then I watched his uh, campaign in 2008. And then um, after that, I got into, you know, the Mises Institute. Um, my kid's dad, he went to Auburn University as a fellow. Uh, he became a fellow at the Mises Institute, actually. And um, in 2008, I started working there. I was offered a job. And so from there, I just started reading Austrian economics, and I didn't stop. Um, and then sometime, like around 2011, I actually went on RT television to talk to Adam Kokesh. And it was actually that moment when I was like, you know, I want to, you know, be doing this my whole life. I want to keep promoting liberty. I want to keep getting Austrian economics out there. I want to just keep trying to, you know, change the narrative that I, I mean, back in 2008, I knew things were going to be getting worse and worse and worse. And they are, I mean, here we are in 2020, um, 2011, I'm sorry. But um, so yeah, I just kept doing that. And over the years, it just grew and grew and grew. And um, I once again started to work for the Mises Institute. And I started um, making these memes. Um, that's really how it all started was memes, I started to quote Austrian economists and pictures. And over the years, they, they, they did extraordinary. They made it to like WikiLeaks. Um, I think Edward Snowden shared one and uh, it just kept floating around. And you know, over the years, they just stayed. Like I'll still see one pop up on Twitter or Facebook. And uh, so that's been extraordinary. And uh, so I moved away a little bit from that. I still make them from time to time, but now it's just you know doing work for the Mises Institute, promoting the Mises Institute, Austrian economics, Ron Paul, all those things. Cause you know, America's going down a very dark path right now. So it's kind of like more now more than ever, it's like, we have to keep going. Um, but that's, that, that was kind of my path. It was started with Ron Paul and I'm still with Ron Paul, so. Very cool. And, uh, and you were relatively, you were pretty young when Ron Paul um, was getting ready to run. What attracted you at that age to his message? Well, actually, I was very young. Um, I was 18. Um, and, and by 19, I uh, was pregnant with my first child, my son. And, you know, I started to think about his future and what was going on in the world. And I knew that I had to make it better for him. Um, that's one of the things that I think people dismiss about having children is, you know, you're going to have to answer to them 
them at some point. And you need to make their future better for them. Because if you don't, you will be answering to children, your children and your grandchildren and future generations. And that that's really what attracted me to Ron Paul's message. So, and, you know, I just saw the debt clock and everything and the wars. I, I was, I was pretty much anti-war from like 2004 on. But I mean, if you think about it, most of my life, we've been at war with Iraq and the Middle East and Afghanistan and all those places. So that that's really what attracted me to the message because even at a very young age, I could see, you know, death and destruction, that's not economical. It, it's not sustaining, you can't keep doing it. So that, that was really what drove me. Okay, no, that's interesting. And And what was it like growing up? Were you always libertarian or did you drift that way <laughs> around that time? I was not always libertarian. Now, actually, I was homeschooled. Um, so often I would just go to the library and read a lot of books. And I got really fascinated with World War II history. So, um, but my mom, she's actually still a hardcore Democrat. Um, and she votes in that direction. And she's she's also a feminist. I'm not. But um, I don't know. I just kind of grew up the opposite of my mom. I don't know if that led me in that direction or not, but uh, that that was pretty much what I grew up around books, and I, I think just forming my own opinion and being homeschooled and being able to self-learn is what kind of led me in that direction. And on the homeschooling topic, I believe you had mentioned in the previous conversation that you do that yourself now. Yes, I do. I homeschool my children. I have three. I've been homeschooling them for about 10, 10 11 years now. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit about that and the decision and then how it's gone? Well, just considering that I was homeschooled, I, I thought, you know, this would be good to homeschool my children. Um, they, hopefully they'll appreciate it when they're older. I don't know if they do now, but, <laughs> um, you know, I didn't, when I was their age, I was like, oh, I'm homeschooled. I have no friends, blah, blah, blah. But um, actually, too, now it, it was interesting when I was homeschooled as a child, we didn't have many homeschooling groups at all. Uh, there was not many resources for homeschoolers. But in the last, like, probably eight years, that's just exploded. Yeah. And especially in this last year, because now everybody's homeschooled. Yeah. So it's completely normal. If anything, my kid kids have a head start on the public school kids that were homeschooled, sure. you know, because they already know the drill. But um, my biggest thing with homeschooling with my children um, was I wanted them to grow up self-motivated. And I'm seeing that in them already uh, as two of mine are teenagers. One's two, but, you know, she's still doing schoolwork with her siblings. Um, but I, I'm seeing them become self-motivated, and it's actually a really beautiful thing to see. And that, that was one of my main goals. Like, if you, if you can teach them, children at a young age, to be self-motivated, they'll just keep surprising you the rest of their life. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, with, like, Photoshop and me and everything, all my, all my job with the libertarian movement over these last few years, um, it's really just me self-learning everything. Yeah. Yeah, and really um, self-getting where, where you wanted to be. So talk a little bit about how you got that first role um, with Mises and, and where, kind of how it took off? Well, the first role, um, I was actually a groundskeeper for the Mises Institute. It, it's, it's a funny story, um, too, because like, uh, 
if you look in the back gardens and stuff, there's bricks. Um, that was my idea. So I, I have I have like something solid there at the Mises Institute forever, like with me. Like, oh, I love the gardens though. I, I worked on them with uh, Marty Rockwell. She was the first one to hire me. And uh, then I started to work in the bookstore as well. And then I left for a job in DC and I worked as a chef for a few years. Um, and then I moved back to Ohio and then I started making the memes. And then uh, Jeff Dice saw them and he rehired me to make them for the Mises Institute. I actually made them as, vo as a volunteer um, for a few years there uh, between 2011 and uh, 2014. Jeff rehired me in 2014. Um, as a contractor. Um, and now I'm doing editing and a few other things for them. That's really great. Yeah, yeah that's a really interesting start, start and story. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a little higgly piggly. It's like uh, confusion everywhere, but it kind of, if you look at the bigger timeline, it kind of all fits together. I'm not quite sure Jeff even knew I already worked for the Mises Institute when he rehired me. So that was, that was funny because <laughs> he had come oh, in 2014 wow. as our president. Yeah. So he wasn't there previously. Um, so, so yeah, that was, that was very fascinating. I, I love those guys though. They're, they're, they're amazing. They just are. They've just been wonderful over the years to me and the family. What got you going towards Austrian economics? Was that something you read in particular or? It, the first book I actually read in Austrian economics, I was actually, I was working at the Mises Institute already when I first started reading Austrian economics. And um, it was the New Deal in Old Rome. And it was a really random Austrian book actually. It was just up in the bookstore. And I thought that looked interesting. So I got it and um, I started reading it and I was like, oh, I'm intrigued by this. And then after that, I started to read uh, Mises. And then I went from Mises to Hoppe, from Hoppe to Rothbard. That, that was my progression um, over the years and it's just kept going. Um, I read Economics in One Lesson too by Henry Hazlitt. Um, just, just books like that at first. And then I moved on to like human action, man, economy and state. And that's where I am pretty much now. Um, my thing is you can always keep learning Austrian economics. I, I keep finding new books that I'm just like, I need to read this. And it, they just keep coming out and I keep finding them. And I'm like, how many books did Rothbard write? Did that man ever sleep? That's an honest question because he just kept writing. It, it was amazing. Like, yeah, you can go your whole life and not finish Rothbard. I'm yeah. convinced of that. Like if you go between the articles and the books, and, you know, even he did like movie pre reviews. He did one, I, I think it was Star Wars. I mean, so you could just keep reading Rothbard like the rest of your life and not finish. Well, I think you just named probably three to 5,000 pages of Austrian economic books. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I can rattle them off in my head. I, 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 can, I can do the same with M M Mises quotes. I don't know why. For those really folks with, uh who will probably only read one or so for the rest of their life, which one <laughs> as a beginner um, of somebody who wants to learn Austrian economics would you suggest for those folks? I would suggest economics in one lesson and that we're actually giving away free at the Mises Institute. You can just Google economics in one lesson Mises Institute and you can 
type in your address and everything and we'll ship you a free book. Um, and I highly suggest reading that. Um, the second one would probably be um, Hans Hermann Hoppe, Democracy, The God That Failed. That's actually one of my favorite books. That's awesome. No, that's great advice. Yeah. I was super pumped the other day because the Cato Institute sent me a pocket constitution. Uh, mm. I'm going to go on the BGs and get the second Alex in one lesson, and I'll read that as well. That would be fantastic. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great book. What you got, Kevin? So, um, I want to know about, so you've been in it, you've, you've talked about um, how great the Mises Caucus, uh, not the Mises Caucus, or the Mises Institute is. They're great too, um, the Mises Caucus. They're but, wonderful people too. Yeah. I adore them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I always, every time I'm talking, I, I swap them up. But We appreciate it, Kevin. <laughs> um, so, do, do what? Oh, yeah. Well, so... I want to know about your experience overall in the Liberty Movement. What's it been like? Um, you know, you, you've talked about the Mises season and how great that's been for you. Um, have, have, how's your experience been with other parts of the Liberty Movement? Um, good and bad. I mean, I've gotten the, the reason people have, you know, I, I used to be okay with them, but lately a lot of the women have been Twitter attacking me. Um, so there's that and sometimes i've gotten into you know shuffles with cato and a few other people but i mean overall my experience is mostly from positive except from like you know leftists who like to call me names and i think my favorite was arian barbie after i dyed my hair blonde um that was fantastic i was like oh yes i'm a barbie you know i own that um but honestly i think my high level of sarcasm has really gotten me through a lot of the horrible things that people have said. Um, other than that, I mean, my overall experience has been pretty positive. Um, for the most part, some people are supportive, some people aren't, but that comes with the territory. Um, as a female, yes, uh, you get hit on a lot, uh, but I think as a female, we really need to you know, start embracing the word, word no uh, you know, you can tell people no, you can tell guys no, doesn't matter, you know, where they are, where they come from. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it's just been positive. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. That's awesome. um, my favorite thing is just to go to events and just meet new people, pass out hugs, especially in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just been a crazy year and you can't see people and I, I was really excited because I, I did get to attend three events this year without a mask and I was able to pass out hugs and that's been positive. But that that is one thing that I've noticed this year. A lot of, uh, you know, so-called libertarian um, think tanks and stuff, they've canceled all their events and they haven't tried to, you know, restart them. Um, the Mises Institute so far is the only one I know of. Um, and I was supposed to go to a couple others this year and I couldn't because they canceled. So I'm just like... I would like to see more of that, more anarchy next year from other think tanks and everything. That'd yeah. be great. Were the three events you attended all Mises? Yes, they were all, well, Well, two of them were the Mises Institute. One was at Grove City, um, but it was the Austrian um, Con Scholars Conference. It's just okay. ASC. Um, and that's at Grove City every, once a year. 
and uh, it, you know, it was before the lockdowns and everything. It was in March, so I don't know if that one counts. <laughs> but I loved it. It was enjoyable, and everybody was really sweet. Yeah, we've had um, we did the Oklahoma uh, state convention. We did it delay it due to COVID, but we had it over the summer, um, which ironically was a bit before it got spiked again here, and then uh, also the LP national convention in Orlando for those of us who um, who got there. So those are the two events uh, that I've seen happen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I would like to see just a lot more libertarians just, you know, stand up to the mask mandates and stand up to the lockdowns. And it, it you're starting to see it now a little bit more because it's been like, what, 250 days to flatten the curve? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. And I was anti-lockdown from the start. I I was just, I found it appalling. I actually, um, back in March, my bank uh, wouldn't let me come in to take out my money if I didn't wear a mask. So I put on a mask for like two seconds. I went in, took all my money on my bank and closed my account. <laughs> that, that, I mean, so I, I've been, I've been pissed off and opposed from the start. So it's kind of like, ah. Yeah, three weeks to open a business account at Wells Fargo due to all the <laughs> COVID issues. And I uh, was really angry. It's never taken me more than an hour to open an account before. <laughs> so, wow, yeah. that's insane. Yeah, I was really mad. <laughs> so, what yeah. do you think? Um, go ahead, Kevin. I was just going to chime in. It's been 262 days since the start of 262. 15 days. 262. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, almost, almost 300. I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to go up to 300, 400, maybe 500. I mean, this is like 911, 2.0. Yeah. We're never going to get all our freedoms back unless we really demand it. I mean, it's the ratchet effect. Once they start taking away your liberties, they're never going to want to give them back. They just want more power. Yeah, and I don't know if you heard our episode with Angela McCardle the other day. I did not. I love her, by the way. She's so good. Yeah, she was fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, she's so wonderful. I'm Uh, like, I I pale in comparison. That's okay. (laughs) But she was making the same type of argument that we should have come out much stronger, much sooner. Yeah. Um, Oh, 100%. Much sooner, much stronger. I mean, you have the LP and they were talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter or something a few months ago. And um, it was like, well, okay, that's great and all, but we're all like in living in tyranny right now. Can we, can we talk about that? And I, I still saw this post by them the other day and they're like, oh, wear a mask, it's the polite thing to do. And I'm like, no, the polite thing to do is to let people decide for themselves as individuals, that is the polite thing to do, <laughs> you know? So, so yeah, I'm still, I'm still a little ticked off about those tweets. And interesting, Kevin and I have been talking just the last two weeks or so. We've started to see the bigger names in the national LP uh, come out and say, yes, we're going to start talking about it more now that Biden's going to come in and push for a national mandate and and whatnot. So we will see. Oh, of course, when Biden comes in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you can do it under Trump. And or the governors. I mean, I, I think people are looking at the bigger picture, not the smaller. It's really the governors who have been tyrannical here from the start. And that's to me, that's more scary than a president being tyrannical because there are 50 governors 
you know, and th- those people are in your home state. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the president's like in DC. So, be- well, besides the, what's her name? I forget her name right now. She was in South Dakota, Governor. Haley. Yeah. Yeah. She was wonderful, yeah. but uh, with the lockdowns and everything, and the Florida governor is oh, apparently sorry. doing really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, and there is um, the scary thing about the governor. A, they have a lot less, it takes a lot less votes to become governor, right? And then B, there's a bunch of states where the governor is automatically going to be one party or the other based on just the state electorate. You know what I mean? So that governor is, is basically chosen and then and that they're going to implement what they what they want. And then the other thing that's scary is it takes longer um, for, it seems like anyway, it takes longer for a court to overturn a governor's decision uh, than it does a president. When a president makes the decision, it gets to the courts right away and, and it gets sorted out. Governor, you know, the grand, or not grand home, I always say that because I'm from Michigan. What's her name? Whitmer. Whoa, Whitmer. yeah. The uh, Wicked Witch. Oh, yeah. She, Whitmer. She puts <laughs> things in place and like four months later, the state Supreme Court finally says, you know, no, that was against the Constitution um, and, and overturns it. Two weeks later, she puts it in place again, but only lets it last three weeks. So she knows that it's not going to go through the courts again. So she can just keep doing these short-term ones so she knows the court won't have time to overturn her. She learned her lesson and now she'll do one month at a time and just keep doing it. So that's the scary part about governors, I think, is is it's almost low profile enough that they can they can slide under the court system. Yeah. She she's really witchy. I, I never liked her from the yeah. start. She was horrible, but um I live in Soviet Ohio. I like to say, um, and I'm where DeWine is, and they just sent him impeachment. So they started to, oh, oh, yeah, they were, they, they finally finished the papers of impeachment or whatever. Um, and so I don't know if that's going to go anywhere, but I highly doubt it. Right. It's just nice, like, okay, well, somebody's trying to do something. But... Yeah, I lived in Ohio when he was running. Uh, I, I think I had left by the time he got elected, but I couldn't believe they ended up picking him. Yeah, he's just, he's a Republican, but he's like Democrat. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's how I view him. I mean, Tulsi Gabble, Gabbard, I'm sorry, is like more Republican than him. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of like, okay. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, usually when we do uh, the Ladies of Liberty episodes is uh, the end. Oh, I can't hear you. I'm sorry. What was that? Oh, sorry. Usually what we do on Ladies of Liberty is and with thoughts on how the liberty movement can become more appealing or, or um, invite more women and, and become a better place for women in the movement because we know that the stereotype is uh, not that way. Okay. Yeah, the stereotypes out there, but I I think for a piece of me, it's just like this does fall back on women um, ourselves. I mean, we shouldn't leave everything up to men. We we should, you know, assert ourselves and get out there. And um, personally, I'm not a feminist, but um, I think if you are a feminist, you have to understand too that you know individualism is out there. You can 
be an individual and still promote, you know, Austrian economics and liberty and everything without the whole crassness. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, that's one thing we need to do. And another thing is just, you know, be polite to everybody, love each other, you know, I'm, and, you know, if somebody approaches you inappropriately, which I've heard has happened to some women that I have been close to, just say no if you're not into it. But I don't know if that's the best way to put it. But, I mean, these these things happen across, you know, fields of life. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm almost 34 now. Um, I'm about to turn 34. And I've just had these experiences throughout my life. And, you know, just say no. <laughs> and walk away or, you know, tell somebody if you feel very uncomfortable. Um, one thing that I have noticed helped me over the years is always to have like a girlfriend with me. Um, and in a sense, that's promoting, uh, uh, you know, bringing somebody in who might not technically know about Liberty or Ron Paul or Austrian economics and have them go to events with you too. That That's like kind of like a wingman buddy system type thing. Yeah. Um, and, and personally, I've always had positive experiences during those times. So I'm, there's many, many things we can do. But the biggest thing right now is, you know, we need to advance liberty so bad. Yeah. We really do because, oh, America's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, <laughs> when, you, when you bring somebody who's not a libertarian to an event like that, what do they think? They usually fall in love with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, I've even brought my children to Mises events, and so, and they love it too. And you just got to reach out to people and find some common ground, like, oh, you want to be able to sell this product uh, without government interference? Well, do I know a guy, you know, and send them to the Mises Institute and get them thinking. And, and that, that's the biggest thing we need to do is to just get people thinking about liberty, free markets, um, Austrian economics, individual freedom. We, we just need to keep hammering it home to people. And, and I think that way you, you, you will find people welcoming you and welcoming your message, including women. Because, you know, as a woman, as a, as a mother, I, I deal with you know, economics in every aspect of my life. You know, even going to the grocery store, I'm dealing with the economy. I'm dealing with, you know, high taxes, regulation, everything. So so it's so many processes of your life. And I think people would be welcome to the message no matter, you know, if you're a man or a woman. Yeah, and I do think that's one interesting point is a lot of times we try to make very high level or sorry, very uh, micro um, arguments about economics and really try to get into the nitty gritty and sometimes what it takes for people to understand it who aren't uh, deep into the movement is to understand how it affects their daily shopping trip, how it affects their um, kids lunch, how it affects, you know, um, how much money you have at the end of the week to put into your savings account. And sometimes we forget that uh, because we're so used to fighting with other libertarians. Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) Folks who aren't libertarian yet. Yeah. I'm sorry, what was that? Uh, Yeah, it's not focused on converting people who aren't libertarian yet. And I think those everyday messages. Yeah, simple, sweet messages. I use the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. (laughs) And that's what I do when I tweet or when I go on Facebook or something. I I try to take a complex idea and break it down as simple as possible. 
<laughs> and so far it seems to be working, but, and, and that's what I tried to do with the memes and the quotes. I tried to break down like human action into, you know, one quote. And that, that's very hard to do. You know, you can't, you really have to go read all of, you know, Mises. You really can't read a snippet. But, you know, it's kind of like you have to get people interested in it and have them want to learn more. And that that's that's my biggest goal in life is to try to get people to learn more. Right. That, that That's what needs to happen. We need to not, you know, shut ourselves off from the world. I, I think one of the things that distracts us these days is you know the television mainstream media tablets phones and everything but you know I, I mean if you look in my living room I don't even have a tv I uh just have books everywhere thousands of books and <laughs> so it, it's it's kind of like I I like being able to unplug from my laptop at the end of the night and go get a book and, and that's something we really need to you know turn off our brains and just start learning again because that, that's how we did it for, you know, hundreds of years. Yeah. <laughs> and we need to get back to that and not be so paranoid about viruses or, you know, be so reliant on government. And that's what got us into this mess right now. <laughs> Kevin, do you have any last questions? No, I think that... Um... I think it's been awesome. I think your story of getting started there is is really great. Um, Thank you. It, it's been it's been a long journey road <laughs> to where I am today. Yeah, I um I really appreciate you coming on. Um, we'll um in the notes of this podcast we'll put that link for the um, free book. That way, some more people can tune in and get that. That sounds great. But, yeah, and have them visit Mises.org. Yeah, I'll put that in there too. Yeah. I, th I think it's kind of funny because it took me ages to say Mises instead of Mises, Mises <laughs> Institute. That, that's another See, part of my journey. <laughs> I, I always say uh, Mises. Mises. Yeah, instead of Mises, yeah. Well, I actually, I am not even sure I'm saying it right still. <laughs> because I just blame it on being a Yankee. With, with, you know, I had a speech impediment as a kid, so I'm just going to blame it on that and being a Yankee. So that, that's that's where I'm going to go with that. But at least I don't say it at the Mises Institute. Yeah. <laughs> Could be much worse. Right. <laughs> well, Natalie, any other um, any other pitches? Any, any you want to tell people where they can find you? Uh, yeah, they can find me on Twitter at ChessChick01. And you can find me on Facebook, too, under my name, Natalie Danilishan. Um, yeah, just read the Mises Institute. Um, I love them to bits. And that that's about it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was fantastic. And uh, we look forward to having you on again down the road. Okay, thanks for having me. Have a good night. Yep, thanks. thanks.